Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning. And uh, this morning we're going to be turning to 1 Peter and chapter 1. Uh, we will get back to the Gospel of Mark, um, Lord willing, next week. But I wanted uh, to take another opportunity uh, to look at um, uh, the new year and to be thinking about uh, the new year uh, from the lens of faith. And so this morning we want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and looking at the opening two verses of this epistle. Last time, you'll remember, uh, we looked at the new year through the lens or through the thought of the, the concept of newness. Uh, a new year brings newness. And we were thinking about that passage in Paul where he says, if anyone is in, uh, in Christ, a new creation. That literally what Paul is emphasizing, that if one is in Christ, they are, they are part of that new creation uh, that God is working that the old has passed away and all things are new, uh, something that the scriptures celebrate. Well, this morning we want to come back uh, to this idea of the new year and to be thinking about it from the lens of what is our aim, what is our purpose, what is it that we are living for or aiming for uh, as we approach this new year. First Peter chapter 1 and reading verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, uh, as mentioned, we want to think about this passage in that sense of uh, how are we to live our lives or what are we living for? And when we think about our aim in this new year, when we think about our purpose of what we're striving for, uh, our, our purpose is going to be based on our understanding of who we are. Uh, and when we think about who we are, uh, that, that is both a very simple question, but also a very profound question. Uh, if someone can ask a toddler, who are you? Uh, a toddler can answer that question. They will explain to them who they are by giving them their name. And yet as we get older, that question doesn't get any easier. It actually gets more profound. Uh, we begin to reflect on exactly who are we? Uh, what am I living for? How do I understand myself? And this morning we want to turn uh, to think about our sense of identity. Uh, we want to think about our identity in a way that is comprehensive, but also our identity in a way that is stable and secure. And Peter is doing both of those things here uh, in his greeting uh, to the church in the, be the beginning of his letter. We want to look at this, uh, these opening uh, verses then uh, to think about our identity with reference to God and his grace towards us. And so this morning we're thinking about an identity that is formed by God's grace. Peter wrote this letter uh, in the first century, uh, but probably in some time in the 60s A.D., uh, and he wrote it uh, as it uh, lists uh, to Christians that were scattered around different Roman provinces. But all of those provinces would be what would make up today modern-day Turkey. 
And as he's writing this letter, uh, he's writing, you remember that Peter was uh, a servant to the circumcised, uh, that he, he ministered uh, to Jews who had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. But as we come to this letter this morning, uh, it seems very likely that Peter's letter here is not exclusively to Jews who had believed in Jesus, but that as there are many hints in this letter, that it is written to both Jews and Gentiles. And that's significant that as Peter is talking here, he is talking about who they are in Christ, but he describes them in a way that is universally appropriate for Christians of all ages and in all places. And so he's describing these Christians so that they would know their identity. And as we come to these opening letters, uh, uh, these opening verses, uh, they are a greeting, but they're more than just a polite greeting. They're more than just the way to start a letter. When Peter is beginning this way, everything else that he says in the letter comes on the basis of how he has framed his greeting to these believers. It's their identity that is to shape everything about how they live. And so we can't simply rush into the rest of the letter without first understanding what does Peter actually say about the recipients that he's addressing? Who are they? And Peter explains who they are. They are elect exiles. They are those who have been called by God's grace. And they are those who have been shaped by the God who has revealed himself in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, again, we're thinking about that sense of identity. But we want to see our identity as something that is formed by what God has done and what God has revealed about himself in Jesus Christ. I can remember sitting in on an intro uh, to psychology class at university and the professor handed out sheets of paper and at the top of the paper it said, who am I? And then underneath that heading, it had line after line of saying, I am blank. I am blank. And the task that was being given to each student, the exercise, was is that you would fill in the blank. And there was something of a, uh, a self-reflection happening there, uh, of trying to understand one's own identity. And you can appreciate something of the strength of that exercise because it does... It does highlight something of the uniqueness or the individuality of each individual. Because if each one of us filled out that sheet of paper, most likely none of our sheets would be identical. We would each list things about ourselves that differentiate between each of us. But there's also, it seems, weaknesses in that kind of an exercise. Because in filling out that sheet, it begins with self. And it implies or it suggests that your identity is something that ultimately you form. That your identity is something that is shaped simply by your passions or your interests or your activities. That who you are is ultimately up to you. And it doesn't really give credence. It doesn't seem to direct the idea that your identity is formed outside of yourself. That your identity is something that is given to you. Which is ultimately what the scriptures are teaching us. 
that when we think of who we are, we are to think beyond even our own interests or not just simply starting with ourselves. If I think of my identity as something that I create, it then discards the notion of uh, my, identity be, my identity as being something firmo, first and foremost given to me by God, who is the giver of all life. But more than that, if I think of my identity as something that is shaped or formed simply by my interests, it actually produces a less stable understanding of who you are. You might identify yourself by saying, I do this for my work or this is my passion, this is my hobby, these are my interests, these are things that are true about me. But over time, those interests, those hobbies, those activities change. Does that mean that you're not who you once were? Does your identity crumble over time? And so when we're thinking about our identity, it has to go beyond simply starting with self or simply describing interests that characterize a moment. We want an identity that is secure. We want an identity that comprehends the totality of your life and not just talking about parts of your life. An identity that is satisfying, but also uh, that uh, takes into notion uh, God himself. And that's what we see here as Peter is writing to the church, uh, an identity that he highlights when he addresses them as elect exiles. And so we want to think about uh, these verses in two thoughts, an identity that is formed by God's grace and an identity that shapes our view on life. Well, Peter begins here uh, uh, as an apostle, addressing himself uh, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then the recipients, he addresses them as elect exiles of the dispersion. Uh, and then he uh, says uh, that they are um, um, scattered across the Roman provinces. But he uses that word there, elect. Uh, the word elect uh, is highlighting something of who they are in relation to God. That he is describing themselves as those who have been chosen or selected by God. Not only are they created by God, but they are the objects of his care and of his favor. The word chosen is it's capturing something of the love of God that has been shown to them. That they are those who are in this bond, a relational bond with God and his people. It is a word that is oftentimes used in the Old Testament uh, to describe the people of God. It, it described the people of Israel uh, after they were rescued from the land of Egypt. It says uh, that the Lord rescued them because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them. And so when Peter begins to address these recipients, you notice that he addresses them as they are in relation to God which is actually revealing to us something of our identity. That to know oneself, one must know God. At the beginning of his uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion, the French reformer John Calvin said that no one has a, a clear understanding of themselves until they first lift their gaze and contemplate God. 
And then only after they have contemplated God that they look down and scrutinize themselves. That apart from an acknowledgement of God, how can we know who we are? He is our maker and we are his creatures. And it's only as we know who God is that we begin to see who we are in all our, in all our totality, in terms of our rebellion, in terms of our pursuits, in terms of our, our calling. Why did God make me? All of these things come from a knowledge of first acknowledging God. Then we begin to understand who we are ourselves. But this is the exact opposite of how we want to think about identity. That the natural impulse is to begin with self and to, to think simply about our own interests or how we want to identify ourselves without reference to God. That God is separated from the equation or if he's included, it's, it's more of an attack on that I also list God as part of my equation, but it's more of my self-fulfillment that I would mention God. But we have to begin with who are we before God and then to live in light of God's works. So the scriptures celebrate that our identity is not something that we must, we have to build like a tower. It's not, it's not even like a house that you have to decorate in order to, to express or to, to, to form meaning. But that our identity is something that is objective. That it's something secure because it comes from God. And it's something that is formed by God's works. And then we live in that realm as we fulfill God's calling. So here, there's, there's not that burden of trying to say, well, what am I here for? Why do I matter? That's, that's the weight that we feel in our own age of being creatures that are trying to understand why we matter. Whereas the scriptures teach us you matter because you were created by the living God, that you bear his image and you're called to live knowing him. That relieves us of the, the burden of saying, this is why I matter. We don't have to justify our importance. It's given to us. It's stamped on us. We are image bearers. But more than that, uh, Peter here is celebrating the fact that for those who have come to believe in God, uh, uh, in God's grace in Jesus Christ, that they are those who are shaped and formed uh, by the love of God himself. And so he, he uses that word there in verse 1, to those who are elect, chosen, favored by God. You are loved by God. You are those who know the bond of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Who are you? You're first and foremost a creature made by God, but you're also first and foremost a sinner who has come to know of God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's what you are if you belong to Christ. And so he begins by using that language of elect. But notice, notice how he expands what God's grace means. Notice what he means when he says you're chosen. Because in verse 2, he gives us a Trinitarian description of God's grace. By Trinitarian, we mean the threeness of God. That he is explaining how God's work of salvation comes to play in the individual's life. 
And he, he begins there by saying they are elect, uh, in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Matthew Henry uh, explains that foreknowledge can be thought of in different ways, and it has been thought of in different ways uh, in church history. One way to think about foreknowledge is to think about knowing something that is going to happen ahead of time. So if there's a, a solar eclipse that is going to come, uh, they will be able to predict the day and the hour of when that solar eclipse will come by. It doesn't mean that they can control it. It doesn't mean that they can direct the solar eclipse, but our uh, uh, weather forecasters, that they are able to determine these things because they know how uh, our, our universe works. And they can predict ahead of time what will happen. But there's another way of thinking about foreknowledge, and that is to know something because it is according to your plan. And that's what Peter is meaning here. It's not just that God knows what will happen in the future, but the things that will happen in the future are according to God's plan. And we know that's what Peter means here because that's how Peter talks in other places when he uses the exact same word. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching and he says, this Jesus whom uh, you crucified was delivered according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. When Peter said that, he wasn't just saying that, that Jesus died and God knew that was going to happen. Peter was saying that was God's purpose. That was God's plan of salvation from the beginning. And so here when Peter talks to these Christians in Asia Minor, in Bithynia, in Cappadocia, in Galatia, he says, who are you? You are those who are favored by God. How are we favored by God? You're favored by God because in his plan, he foreknew you before the foundations of the earth, that he chose you in his love. He put his favor upon you and caused you to be the instruments of his grace. And in all of this, he's highlighting uh, uh, the freeness uh, of God's work. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what does that mean for a, uh, an individual believer? It means that they are known by God in an intimate way, and they have always been known by God. My identity is not just that I am a dot or I'm a pixel or that I'm a number, that I'm just part of a group. It means that you are known intimately by God. When we think about identity, we're thinking about who am I? And here, Peter can celebrate the fact that those who are known by God matter. That they are those who are known in the foreknowledge of God that he, before we were born, God knew us. But also that God purposed to make us the instruments of his grace. It also highlights here uh, uh, the um, grace of God in terms of the work of the Spirit. He goes on in verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, uh, for the obedience to Jesus Christ. That he's highlighting here that it is the work of the Spirit that brings that change in a person's life. That at one time they're living in sin, but they've been changed from the inside out. 
that they've come to believe in God's grace in Jesus Christ, and they have been set apart to be consecrated to God. They are no longer living centered on themselves, but now centered on Christ. And that's what it means there when it says for the obedience of Christ. They're now living, trusting in the Lord Jesus themselves. And so by the grace of God, they can say, I am what I am. I am living, consecrated to God. That I am living in all situations that I belong to my God and my Savior. And so this morning... Can you say that? Can you say that I am living by the grace of God, for the glory of God, because I belong to my God? That God has shown his grace to me and has sent his son to forgive, uh, to, to cleanse me of my sins, to save me from my sins. And that now by the work of the spirit, I am set apart to live to God's glory. That's who I am. I'm a servant of God. That's a stable answer that cuts across all situations. That through all the ups and downs, I know who I am because I know who I belong to and my calling is to serve him. That's the work of the spirit in a person's life where they know how they relate to this God who has made them and has sent a redeemer for them. So they, their identity is shaped by God's grace. They are foreknown by God the Father. They are sanctified by the Spirit. But then they are also uh, sprinkled uh, by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Again, there in verse 2, uh, you see that mention. Peter uses a very uh, interesting uh, phrase here. Uh, God's grace shapes their understanding of themselves in terms of Christ's sacrifice. But Peter uses that language of sprinkling by his blood. He's actually taking us back to the Old Testament uh, to highlight something. That in the Old Testament, God made covenant with his people. And that was established in blood. When the Lord confirmed his covenant with Israel in Exodus 24, it says, And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And then it says, And Moses took the blood and threw it, or sprinkled it, as the King James puts it rightly. And they uh, sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. What was, being hap- what was happening there? The blood was a sacrifice was being made for sin. The blood was being sprinkled or poured out on the altar as a representative of satisfying God's justice. That a sacrifice was offered for sin that was being accepted. And then after the people committed themselves to the Lord, all this we will do, then the people were sprinkled with the blood. That now they were those who belonged to the Lord. Now they were those uh, who were uh, consecrated for the Lord's service. They belonged to the Lord, but more than this, they have been cleansed. You are clean because the blood has been applied to you. 
And so the writer of Hebrews takes that picture and applies it to the Christian in the new covenant. That we are those who have been sprinkled and made clean uh, from an evil conscience. And our bodies are washed with pure water. So we are able to draw near to God with a full assurance of faith. We recognize that we are sinners. But we also are to recognize that we have been washed of our sins. So what is a Christian? A Christian then is someone who knows and acknowledges God. But more than that, they acknowledge God's grace in Jesus Christ. I have been washed. My sins have been cleansed away because Christ died in my place. And so now I live not just trying to uh, commit myself to God, but because I belong to God. He who loved me and gave himself for me is now the one for whom I live. And so this is shaping the way that we view ourselves. We don't have to focus in on our, our 20, 20 items of what we think should capture our identity. And we skip out on some of the parts that we don't want to focus on. Our identity can be comprehensive. This is who I am in its totality. I'm a sinner. I'm someone who's broken promises. I'm someone who has failed others. But I've been cleansed. I've been washed. And now I live believing that I'm made right with God. That's an identity that is secure. And that is one that is to propel a believer forward. So when Peter says to the elect of Cappadocia and Galatia and Bithynia, he's talking about those who are under God's favor. They are those who are not only made by God, but they are those who have come to taste of God's grace in Jesus Christ. That a redeemer has died in their place and that by trusting in him, by the work of the spirit in their life, they have come to believe these things to be true. And now they can celebrate God's salvation. And the result is, is that now they can scrutinize themselves. Now they can look back on themselves and they can say, and this is who I am. I'm to be a servant of God. I'm to be one who is known by God. I'm to be one that is consecrated to God. I am one who has been cleansed by God. Here is an identity uh, that shapes us, one that is comprehensive and one that is secure. But Peter also says something else about them. When he addresses these believers in uh, Turkey, he says to those who are elect exiles. Their identity can be captured not only in relation to God, but he can talk about their identity in relation to the world. He describes them by that language of an exile, someone who is in a temporary resident in a foreign place. That language was used of the Jewish uh, people after they were sent into exile. But now here is Peter using it not just with respect to Jewish believers, but he's using it with respect to all of God's people. That in a sense, they are not at their permanent residing place. They're not at their heavenly destination. And that in a sense, they are recognizing that they are not settled, but they're awaiting a new heavens and a new earth. They're longing for something more. And so that shapes the way that they relate to the world that they live in. Uh, they're not ultimately at home. This is how Abraham, the man of faith, lived 
as an alien and a sojourner among the Hittites. This is how John Bunyan describes uh, the Christian life in Pilgrim's Progress, as a pilgrim on his way to the celestial city. It doesn't mean that he despises this world or that he lives like a monk, but it means that he lives with a mindset that there's more to his existence than this life. And that there will be times when he cannot go along with what people around him are doing. Because ultimately he doesn't belong in that mindset. That he's living for something more. That he is ultimately living unto uh, the Lord. And so there will be times when Christians won't go along with others. And they will feel like strangers in the land. But it's because they belong to, the wor- uh, to God and not to the world. But as Peter says this, he reminds them uh, that they're not ultimately at their uh, uh, promised destination. Uh, He goes on to say that they are dispersed throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, highlighting that while they may be in the minority where they are, they are not alone. That believers have a bond that crosses territories that they are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that they are to be anchored in that hope and united in that hope that God will restore all. So our understanding of self is something that arises out of an acknowledgement of God, that those who acknowledge God in his grace will align themselves with God instead of a world that is living in rebellion with God. But they find comfort that they have a family, that they are part of a company, that their identity is not just restricted to themselves but it is something that extends around that they belong to God and they belong to God's people that's why the psalmist would say I joyed when they said unto me let us go to the house of God because that's where I belong as you think about this new year and you think about belonging as you think about who you are, how do you answer that question? In a way that is comprehensive, that captures everything about you, in a way that is certain and secure, it does not crumble with the passing of time, in a way that acknowledges the totality of truth. There is a God who has acted Have you come to recognize God's grace in Jesus Christ? That he sent a savior. And that by trusting in him, we have the gift of eternal life. We also have the gift of knowing who we are. I know in whom I have believed. And I am confident that he is able. Can we live with that mindset? Who am I? Can we say this morning that we are elect by God's grace? That we know and are known by God. That we are those who have been changed by the Spirit. And that we are those who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bless us as we begin this new year. Help us, Lord, to be people uh, who acknowledge you and... uh, understand ourselves in relation to the God who exists. 
Help us, Lord, not only to confess that we are creatures that live before our Creator, but help us, Lord, to see ourselves as sinners in need of your redemption. We pray that by your grace we would be able uh, to see uh, the love of God shown in and through Jesus Christ, and that we would marvel at that we are known, that we are consecrated, and uh, we are cleansed if we belong to him. Go before us now in Jesus' name. Amen.